0: To consider It's difficult, at least in part, because of all of the interpretations that have been suggested, either from Mark chapter 13 or the parallel passages in Matthew chapter 24 or Luke chapter 21, especially when it comes to the end of time. Especially whenever it comes to the return of Jesus and the signs that are going to come before Jesus' return as some people like to talk about it. So what I would like to do tonight, let's work our way throughout these 36 verses of Mark chapter 13 that's why the sermon outline is so long. We had to print it on a whole sheet of paper. Someone looked at that this morning and was a little bit surprised. I think the question was, is, is this from you? Is, is this going to be our sermon outline for tonight? Well, yeah, it's, it's a little bit long, but I promise we're going to get through it in a timely manner. Just have a little bit of information on this chapter that I would like to share with you, so so let's work our way throughout these thirty-six verses. Let's summarize what Jesus is saying throughout this chapter, and then we'll take a moment to invite it into our lives as we close. This all begins in Mark chapter thirteen and verse number one. Remember where Jesus and his disciples are, especially when it comes to this portion of the Gospel of Mark. They're in the city of Jerusalem. We're just a few days away from Jesus' crucifixion chronologically they're spending their days in this these last few days before his crucifixion in the temple in the city of Jerusalem a few weeks ago we talked about how Jesus was going back and forth with the Jewish religious teachers Jesus is teaching large crowds of people in the temple last time uh, last week we saw at the very end of mark chapter 12 how Jesus and his disciples were in the temple sitting opposite of the treasury When Mark chapter 13 and verse 1, the parallel gospel accounts tell us that they were on their way out of the temple, when perhaps one of the disciples looks over his shoulder, looks back at the temple, he offers praise for the temple, look teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings, the the temple as you can see it up on the screen was truly a beautiful structure. This was the second temple for the Jews. Of course, the first one is the one that Solomon built. This is the one after it was destroyed by the Babylonians. It was rebuilt later in the Old Testament, really late in Old Testament chronology. And then it was revitalized. It was revamped by Herod the Great. He put in some large marble stones into the temple in the city of Jerusalem. And perhaps what's, that's what they're commenting on. They're standing in all of the temple. They're amazed by the temple. Look at how wonderful this building is. Look at how amazing this place is. The temple was amazing to the Jews, not just because of how it looked, but because of what happened there. Because of what took place there. That's the place where they encountered God. That's the place where they made sacrifices to God. That's the place where they experienced the very presence of God as they drew near to the most holy place. Imagine the shock. Imagine the concern. Imagine the confusion that the disciples would have felt as Jesus makes this statement in verse number 2. Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Teacher, look at how wonderful this building is. Look at these wonderful stones. Look at how amazing this building is. Look at how beautiful this building is. Perhaps they expected Jesus to agree with them in that. Yes, this is a beautiful structure and it's an important place because this is where you come to worship God. This is the place where God chose to make His name known. It's not what Jesus says. Hey, take a look at these great buildings. There's going to be a time coming when it's going to be completely destroyed. Where one stone is not going to be left upon another. Whenever I was a little kid, I absolutely loved Toys R Us. That was my holy place. That was my happy place as a little kid. You know, when you go to Walmart and you go to the toy section, it's just a few aisles. You go into Toys R Us, it's aisle after aisle of nothing but toys. My parents hated it. I thought it was amazing. If you were to tell me as a little kid that Toys R Us was going to close down, I would have been just torn up by that. Even in 2018, whenever Toys R Us did shut down, I was 20 years old and I was still a little bit sad by that. You take that situation, multiply it by about a million, and that's where the disciples would have been when Jesus makes this statement in Mark chapter 13 and verse number 2. They would have been confused. They would have been concerned. They would have been shocked. You see these beautiful buildings? There's a time coming when one stone is not going to be left upon another. And so you keep reading into verse number 3. The scene changes just a little bit. They leave the temple complex. They cross the Kidron Valley. They go up on top of the Mount of Olives. As you can see up on the screen, this is a current view of what the temple complex looks like from the Mount of Olives. When you're standing on the Mount of Olives, you look over the Kidron Valley, you're literally overlooking the temple. You're overlooking the place where the most holy place would have been, where the Dome of the Rock is now under the control of Muslim territory. As they're standing there looking at the temple, there's a couple of questions that are burning on the apostles' minds. Question number one comes in verses three and four. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? You can just hear the concern in their voice, can't you? They've been thinking about this as they've made the journey out of the temple, as they've crossed the Kidron Valley, as they've made their way up the Mount of Olives. Perhaps they've been talking about it amongst themselves as the disciples. When is this going to happen? When is the temple going to be destroyed? When is Jerusalem going to be attacked? And what are the signs that are going to come before it? That's the first question. Matthew records for us the second question in chapter 24 and verse 3. What will be the sign of the end of the age? In the first century Jewish mind, those two ideas were connected. If the temple was going to be destroyed, everything else was going to be destroyed with it. If the central part of our religion was going to be removed, then the end of the age has come upon us. So they're asking two questions here. In their minds, they're connected. Jesus is going to separate them. You're talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. When's that going to happen? What are the signs of that going to be? But then, what about the end of the age? What about the end of the world? When's that going to happen? What are the signs that are going to accompany the end of the world? Jesus addresses those two questions one at a time. First, in verses 5 through 31, the bulk of this chapter, Jesus talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. And he talks about the destruction of the temple by the Romans that took place in A.D. 70. About 40 years after Jesus spoke these words on the Mount of Olives. He begins in verses 5-13 through 13 by talking about the events before the destruction of Jerusalem. The signs that showed, yes, the destruction of the temple is coming very soon. He mentions in verse 5 and 6, repeats it in 21 and 23, that there are going to be false Christ. They're going to be false messiahs. He says there are going to be many who come along claiming I am He. He says don't listen to them. Don't be led astray by them. These false Christs are bore witness to in the New Testament. Acts 5, 34-37, 2 Corinthians 11, and verse 13. They're bore to historically by Josephus in a couple of his works, Antiquity and the, the War of the Jews. We're going to be referring to those things over the next few minutes. Jesus' claim is validated by not only the New Testament, but also a historian. He says there's going to be rumors of wars in verse 7. Even today, when there's rumors or there's whispers that a war is going to take place, it causes chaos. It causes confusion. Jesus tells His apostles, you're going to hear rumors of wars. Don't panic. Don't be thrown into chaos. Don't be thrown into confusion. This is just a sign that this destruction is coming. This is a sign that the destruction is drawing near. There's not just going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be actual wars. He says kingdom against kingdom and nation against nation. In the mid to late first century, Rome was not only extending their empire into new territories, but they were also putting down rebellions and revolts within their own empire, among their own people. Jesus says there's going to be natural disasters in chapter 13, in verse number 8, he says there's going to be famines, which we read about that in Acts chapter 11 and verse 28. There's going to be earthquakes. The works of Cornelius Tacitus tells us that leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem, there was an abnormal amount of earthquakes. That's exactly what Jesus predicted 40 years earlier. And the bulk of this first section about the events that are going to happen before this destruction, Jesus says there's going to be very heavy persecution on his apostles. That begins in Mark chapter 13 and verse number 9. They're going to deliver you over to the councils. In the book of Acts, the apostles are handed over to the Sanhedrin and stand before them on multiple occasions. He says you're going to be beaten specifically in the synagogues, in the local assemblies of worship. They're going to take you and they're going to beat you. You're going to stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Look at the end of the book of Acts and see what Paul does on a few different occasions ultimately leading up to... To his appeal to Caesar. Verse number 10, Jesus says that the gospel has to first be proclaimed to all nations. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, that was the plan. It's going to start in Jerusalem, then go to Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. Colossians, the first chapter, Paul says in the first century, the gospel had been preached to every creature in creation. This is certainly fulfilled before. AD 70, he says when these things happen to you, when you're persecuted, when you're brought to trial, when you stand before these councils and kings and rulers, don't worry about what you're going to say, because the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to speak. That's verse number 11. Even family are going to be turned against each other. He says it's going to be brother against brother. It's going to be parents against children are going to rise up and put them to death. He says you're going to be hated by everybody because of me go back to John chapter 15, Jesus tells his apostles, if the world hates you, know what? That it hated me first. He says, you're going to be hated by everybody because of me, but continue to endure, continue to remain faithful, continue to be dedicated, because at the end of verse 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so Jesus begins Talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple that ultimately took place 40 years later at the hands of the Romans. Saying, here are the signs. Here are the events that you need to be looking out for. Here are the events that are going to happen before the destruction takes place. He continues into chapter 13 verses 14 through 23 to discuss the events that bring about this destruction. The destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in verse 14, Jesus mentions the abomination of desolation. That's a, that phrase is originally mentioned back in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, chapter 11 and verse 31, chapter 12 and verse 11. It seems that Daniel used that term to refer to a king named Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who took a pig, an unclean animal for Jews, slaughtered it on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem, not to God, but to Zeus. You can see from a Jewish worldview, from a Jewish perspective, there would have been a lot of problems with that. Taking an unclean animal, sacrificing it on the altar to the Lord, but then sacrificing it to the Roman God, the Greek God, Zeus. It seems that Jesus takes that term and applies it to what the Romans are going to do. In a parallel verse, Luke chapter 21 and verse 10, Luke talks about the armies assembling around the city of Jerusalem. He says when you see that, when you see the abomination of desolation, the Roman Gentile armies entering into the temple where they're not supposed to be, know that the destruction has come. So what are Jesus' followers supposed to do? Verses 15 and 16, he says immediately flee to the mountains. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't go back and get anything. Immediately flee to the mountains. Get out of the city as quickly as you can. It's pretty interesting. There are a lot of reports that date back into antiquity that claim that no Christians were harmed when Jerusalem was overthrown by the Romans. Do you know, you know why that was? It was because the Christians listened to Jesus' teaching They heard Jesus' words. They looked for the sign. They saw the signs and did what Jesus told them to do. They fled the city of Jerusalem, went to the mountains to the village called Pella. And then you look at 17 through 20. Jesus says this time isn't going to be fun. This time of destruction is going to be a time of sorrow, a time of intense suffering. In verse number 19, He says, in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now. And he says, and never will be. That's a powerful statement from Jesus about how intense this suffering is actually going to be. He places a a woe upon women who are pregnant or nursing at this time because of how difficult it's going to be. Verse 17, He instructs them to pray that it won't happen in winter because that would only make things harder and make things worse. God is going to shorten the days of this destruction for those who belong to Him, those who are His elect, those who are His chosen people. But even with the days being shortened, it's going to be a time of great suffering. You go to the War of the Jews, a work of Josephus, you find over a million Jews were killed on this occasion in A.D. 70, and about 100,000 were taken into captivity. Truly, it was a very dark day, a time of intense suffering. Here's the events before. Here's the events that bring about. And here's the events that will happen immediately after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. I think in this section, in 24-27, Jesus uses some highly symbolic language, language from apocalyptic literature in the Old Testament in order to talk about these events. In verses 24 and 25, he talks about signs in the heavens, things happening with the sun and the moon and the stars. Whenever you look throughout the Old Testament prophets, you find that that kind of imagery, that kind of language refers to leaders and governments, dignitaries falling. And that's what happened immediately after the destruction of the temple in the city of Jerusalem. The entire hierarchy of Judaism collapsed, never to be rebuilt again. The entire leadership structure of Judaism fell, never to be put back together again. And he says, All this is going to happen because the Son of Man appeared, in verses 26 and 27. Now, just reading through that, our minds automatically go to the second coming of Jesus. But remember, that's not what Jesus is talking about here in 26 and 27. This is not talking about Jesus' second coming. This is talking about Jesus coming in judgment on the city of Jerusalem for rejecting Him as the Messiah. I think Apologetics Press puts it well. They They write, in other words, the darkening of the Jewish temple, the shaking up of the Jewish commonwealth, The fall of Jewish authority through the instrumentality of imperial Rome was the sign or signal that Christ had come in judgment on Israel. What was actually happening? Jesus was judging Israel for rejecting Him. Who did Jesus use? Jesus used the Romans to do what? To darken the Jewish temple, to shake up the Jewish commonwealth, and to cause Jewish authorities to fall. They continue... Jesus was the one responsible for the misery that would shroud the Jewish nation. But once again, God is taking care of his elect. God is taking care of his chosen people. He's providentially going to send his angels to protect them and to keep them secure. And then, number four, in verses 28 through 31, we see the certainty of these events. Jesus wants his apostles to know that this isn't a maybe. This doesn't have a question mark written next to it. This wasn't written in pencil so that you could go back and erase it and make some changes. No, Jesus wants them to know this will certainly happen. This destruction of Jerusalem, this destruction of the temple that I'm talking to you about, it will certainly take place. He uses an illustration. Take the fig tree. When the leaves come out on the fig tree, He says, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that summer is near. When you see these signs happening, Know for certain that the destruction is coming. When is the destruction coming? Jesus mentions a timetable in verse number 30. He says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Verse 30 is a key to interpreting everything that Jesus says all the way down to verse number 31. So often people look for signs of Jesus' second coming which hasn't taken place yet. And they think about these false Christs, these false messiahs, the sun, the moon, the stars being darkened. All of these different things that Jesus mentions. Jesus is not talking about something that's going to happen thousands of years later in the future. Something that still hasn't taken place yet. Jesus is talking about something that's going to happen in the first century. Something that's going to happen within the generation of those who were hearing Him speak these words originally. Everything down to verse 31 was fulfilled in the generation that Jesus is speaking to. Specifically, it was fulfilled 40 years later, A.D. 70, when Rome surrounded Jerusalem. In verse number 31, you find a powerful verse, a verse that's oftentimes quoted, but out of context. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Heaven and earth, one day they're not going to be here. One day they're going to pass away jesus says my words aren't going to pass away no my words are going to be fulfilled and they certainly were fulfilled so just in a in a a summary way and going through this very quickly this is what jesus has to say about the destruction of jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in chapter 13 verses 5 through 31 in other words he's answering their first question tell us When will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? But what about the second question? From Matthew 24 and verse number 3, what will be the sign of the end of the age? What about the end of the world? What about the end of the age? When is that going to come? What kind of signs are going to accompany that? That second question is what Jesus addresses throughout the rest of the chapter. Chapter 13, verses 32 through 37. Remember, we said in the Jewish mind, the destruction of the temple, the end of the age, were intimately connected to one another. Jesus distinguishes them. Jesus sets them apart from one another. Notice that in verse number 32. But, I'm talking to you about the destruction of Jerusalem. Something that's going to happen within this generation. My words are not going to pass away, but concerning that day and hour the day of his return the end of the age no one knows not the son not the angels in heaven but the father alone in the jewish mind the end of the world was connected to the destruction of the temple and jesus wants them to know know that the end of the age the end of the world is connected to my second coming when i am going to return when i am going to come back in many ways the two are similar And I think in many ways, the destruction of Jerusalem foreshadows the second coming of Christ, but there are also in many ways where the two are different from one another. And that's what Jesus emphasizes in this section of Scripture. For instance, when Jesus talks about His return and the end of the age, He says it's going to take place at an unknown time. The destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, it's going to take place within this generation. There's a timetable attached to that The day when Jesus is going to return, nobody knows. Not the angels in heaven, not the Son at this point, but the Father alone knows when this day is going to take place. Jesus' return, the end of the age is going to be at an unknown time. You know as well as I do, there are a lot of people throughout history, even recent history, the recent past, who have tried to pinpoint the day of Jesus' return. They try to trace all of these different signs and put all these different things together like a really long and complex mathematical equation. Jesus is going to return on this day at this time. Never listen when somebody says that because what they're saying directly contradicts what Jesus is teaching us here. The day of Jesus' return is going to be unknown. And since it's going to be unknown, it's going to be sudden, it's going to be unexpected. Jesus presents that to us in a small parable. When you look at 32 through 37, he talks about a a master, a man, going on a journey and leaving his servants with work, specific tasks that they need to complete. They need to continue working because they don't know when the master is going to come back. They need to continue working because they don't know when the master is going to return. The master's return is not just unknown, but it's going to be sudden and it's going to be unexpected. That's what Jesus' return is going to be like. That's what the end of the age is going to look like. The time is unknown. And so, from our perspective, not from God's perspective, but from our perspective, it's going to be sudden and it's going to be unexpected. Which if we build a little bit more on top of that, the apostles... Are asking for signs what are the signs that the end of the world the end of the age is going to come jesus tells them that there aren't going to be any signs like we said there are so many people in our time there are so many people in our culture maybe you see this talk on social media i actually hear it a lot whenever i'm talking to people we're in the end times how do you know we're in the end times Where you know the signs that that Jesus talks about. We see them being fulfilled in the news. We see them being fulfilled on the the, the world stage. Jesus tells us when it comes to His return, when it comes to the end of the age, there's not going to be any signs. For instance, go to Matthew chapter 24 and consider how Jesus' return is going to be like a thief in the night. There's no signs when a thief is going to come in the night, is there? A thief comes and opens up your window so that when you walk into your house you see the open window and you think that's really odd and you think okay maybe three weeks from now someone's going to come and rob my house at night that's not the way it works when a thief comes in the night it's unknown it's sudden it's unexpected and there are no signs that's what Jesus's return is going to look like Whenever we spend our time looking for signs, searching for signs of Jesus' return, trying to put our finger on the moment when he is going to return, we're wasting our time because Jesus says there aren't going to be any. Luke chapter 21 says that it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. And also, Matthew 24 comments on this as well that in the days of Noah, people were marrying, people were being given in marriage, people were going about their normal lives. And what happened? It started raining. And it just kept raining. That's what Jesus' return is going to be like. People are are going to be going about their normal lives, marrying, giving in marriage, everything's going to be normal. And all of a sudden, the Son of Man is going to descend from the heavens. And life as we know it is going to come to an end. So in many ways, these two are similar. And I think that the destruction of Jerusalem foreshadows for us the second coming of Christ, and the end of the age, but there are also some key ways in which they're different. Jesus' return, the end of the age is an unknown time, it's sudden, it's unexpected, and no signs are going to accompany it according to what Jesus teaches us. And so perhaps we should end with this question, how should we respond to this message? Well, you look at 32 through 37, Jesus gives us three commands that we need to give attention to. Verse 33, He tells us to be on guard. Also in verse 33, He tells us to keep awake. And then in verse 35, verse 37, He tells us that we need to stay awake. You know as well as I do, it's really easy to be a lukewarm Christian. It's really easy to be complacent in our faith. It's really easy to be complacent in our relationships with God. Jesus could return at any moment. It's going to be sudden, it's going to be unexpected, it's going to come at an unknown time, no signs are going to accompany it. So what do we need to do? Instead of being relaxed and comfortable, we need to be on guard. Instead of falling asleep, drifting off to sleep, we need to keep awake spiritually. We need to stay awake spiritually from the parable that Jesus presents in 32 through 37. Instead of being relaxed, instead of being comfortable, we need to do the work that Jesus has commanded us to do. Jesus has ascended back to the Father. He's coming back at a time that we don't know. So we need to be on guard. We need to keep awake. We need to stay awake. And we need to keep working. Doing what Jesus tells us to do. When Jesus returns, He does not want to find us unprepared but prepared we need to constantly be ready for jesus's return because it could take place at any moment we don't know when it's going to happen what we do know is that it's drawing nearer. it's drawing closer with every passing second every passing minute we are drawing nearer to jesus's return we are drawing closer to the end of the age how are you living your life in view of that What kind of person are you choosing to be in view of that? Be on guard. Keep awake. Stay awake. Keep on working. Keep yourself ready and prepared. Because our Lord is returning. If He were to return tonight, which He very well could. If He were to return in the next five minutes, would you be ready? Would you be prepared? If you have doubts about that, don't live with those doubts any longer. We'd love to help you with that as together we stand and sing our song of encouragement.